0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for joining us again on the program this week, and uh, thank you so much for your encouraging cards, letters, uh, emails, uh, phone calls. Uh, your encouragement is very important to us because, as you know, uh, those of you who have been following us for some time, We're breaking new ground as far as uh, sharing some things that may be a little bit different uh, than you're used to being uh, uh, shared. Uh, Some of the things that we're sharing are not perhaps what uh, maybe uh, the multitudes are sharing. Let me just put it that way. Once again, we're not trying to be Facetious or nor are we trying to be uh, fighting anyone else. We just think that it's a good thing to be able to think for yourself and to be presented with uh, alternative views of the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, let me just say by, in, in, in way of that, that uh, some of the things that I'm going to share over the next uh, several segments if you'd like to, you can go back and find my source on them. I am looking at a uh, book called uh, Four Views of the Book of Revelation so that you can see that there are, uh, and I think it was edited by Steve Gregg, uh, you can go back and uh, you probably can find that book if you want to. But what it does is it shares that there is four views that have been uh, consistently preached down through at least a reasonable amount of time. So we like to compare things and we like to look at other views. But, uh, you know, most people that we've met and especially been so encouraged in the last several uh, months as we've traveled throughout the summer and into the early fall, those of you who have uh, come to our meetings and for the first time we've got to meet some of our uh, television audience who have found what we're teaching and have been very favorable, uh, that, uh, you know, it's been really encouraging to us to to meet you and hear your input on these things because what happens is is that, uh, you know, your encouragement kind of really keeps us going. But in sharing over the, the last several months, it's really encouraged me to continue to teach this. Uh, and and many of you have come and said, you know, this is the first time we've heard anything uh, that there was even an alternative view. So most people just embrace what they embrace because they've never heard anything else. And so we're not asking you to believe what we believe. We're just asking you to consider the possibilities. And once again, we're not. Uh, we're not, we don't think that other people who do not believe exactly like we do about the book of Revelation are bad people. We don't see them. I know that people have written me letters and they want to call me a false prophet and, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing and on and on it goes. But uh, see, I'm not going to throw the same darts back at other people. Uh, I I believe that all of us teach what we believe because we heard either somebody else teach it or that's what our research concluded. So, uh, you know, you're you're, you're free to to look at those things. I, I wouldn't want to Stop you from lying. Matter of fact, I would want you to compare it. And so uh, this is what we believe, and we can only share what we believe God uh, has spoken to our hearts. Uh, let me say also, in light of that, before we really get back into the word uh, today. Uh, that if you're enjoying what we're saying uh, you it may be good you know uh, to even write to TBN or email them go to their website and thank them for allowing us to be on television uh, you know it's, uh, it's amazing sometimes how people who do not uh, like us may write to them quicker than people who like us so if you are enjoying what we're saying go and encourage them tell them you appreciate what we're sharing and thank them for having us on uh, and 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 then perhaps even as the Lord lays it on your heart you know one of the things I think you have noticed, those of you who have watched us consistently, is we have no, uh, we have no fundraising uh, abilities, I guess you'd say it like that. We simply believe that if God guides, He provides, but He lays it on the hearts of God's people like you. And if you've been sitting there, and you've been listening and feeding from our ministry, and you want to be part of something big, please don't wait on someone else to do it. God is probably laying it on your heart. And so obedience is the thing uh, that continues to keep us going on the air. So we thank you and appreciate that as well. I want to get in the Word this week because we probably concluded the last time dealing with the 15th chapter. Of the book of Revelation, and I'm going to go back there again and read some things from the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation. Try not to be uh, overspend a lot of time on this because we've already covered it, I think, pretty good. But I want to springboard from it. It's verse one says that I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having, watch this, the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Them that had got the victory over the beast over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. After that, I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Let me just say very quickly that this is in fulfillment. The tabernacle of the temple being open in heaven is in fulfillment of uh, what the apostle spoke in the book of Hebrews when he said that the way into the most holy place was not yet made while the first uh, tabernacle or the first temple still stood. And we could go back and see that during this whole catastrophe period of time of pouring out of judgments, especially in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, that the temple uh, was being destroyed, being sieged for 42 months, which was the exact amount of time that the Romans sieged Jerusalem in bringing it to its end, uh, those last three and a half years of the scope of Daniel's prophecy. And uh, what we saw is that when when that temple is destroyed then the way into the most holy place is now the heavens are now open in other words the heavens are open the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony was open in heaven and the seven angels came out of the temple having seven plagues clothed in pure white and linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles and one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden fowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And uh, let me just go back and, and, and just reiterate some things that, uh, that are, I believe, powerful imagery. Uh, this imagery, first of all, is drawn... Uh, from the Red Sea crossing. Now, uh, remember uh, that this whole, uh, this whole uh, New Covenant paradigm. See, the book of Revelation, again, I believe, contextually, the context of it, and audience relevance, is it was written to seven churches that were really in Asia. Now, I believe it is finished with ongoing results and that there are, uh, you know, that there are ongoing results just like Jesus finished the work on Calvary, but he continues to save, deliver, and touch the nations of the earth. So it's a finished work with ongoing results. One of the paradigms that we, we shared with you, I think, in the last, one of the last few segments is when they came up uh, out of this, uh, uh, when the, the imagery that's drawn was he saw like it were blood to a horse's bridle. And then in the 15th chapter you see them as they begin to declare, uh, uh, they begin to sing, uh, first of all, verse 3 says, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are thy works. Now, they had just come up out of a sea of glass mingled with fire. They had just gotten the victory over the beast, the number of his name, and uh, over his mark. Uh, We already shared with you in the 14th chapter how these are they that had their father's name on their foreheads. They had the opposite of the mark of the beast. They had the seal of the living God on their foreheads. They were the first fruits. They were the redeemed of the Lord and uh, from among all nations, kindreds and tongues, according to the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation. But when they came up out of this, we saw in the latter part of chapter 14 that uh, there appeared to be what seemed like blood to a horse's bridle. The imagery that's drawn from that is of the Red Sea crossing. And see, one of the things that I want you to see is that they sang the song of Moses in chapter 15 of the book of Revelation, and the song of Moses, and the song of the Lamb was the song of Moses was the song that they sang when they came up out of the Red Sea, and they had just been delivered uh, from uh, Pharaoh and all of his horses and chariots, and they are now standing on the other side of the Red Sea. And if you would have looked back, if you could just picture uh, the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh advancing towards the people of God, and then God closing the waters about them or around them, and uh, swallowing up uh, their perpetual enemies. See, the same. water that delivered them was the same water that destroyed their enemies. So there's a twofold thing happening even in the day of the Lord. It is a day of darkness and day of gloominess and a day of Christ, but it's also like the morning spread on the mountains. It is the great and the terrible day. For the believer, it's a great day. For the unbeliever, it was a terrible day. It was God's judgment upon uh, the armies that were, uh, you know, trying to restrain and withhold Israel from coming into their Promised Land. In the New Covenant, Hebrews the fourth chapter, the Promised Land is not just a piece of real estate. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you go back and read Hebrews 4, it makes it very clear that uh, the promised land is no longer just a piece of real estate, but it is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so uh, uh, it's talking about the whole book of Hebrews is about crossing over. The word itself, Hebrews, comes from a root word which means to cross over. But this time they were crossing over, not out of a physical bondage, but out of a spiritual bondage. And into a spiritual promised land, if you will. Um, To me, that's just just incredible. And and even the writer uh, of the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, said that everything that happened to them under Moses happened to them as an example for us upon whom the end of the age had come. Now Paul wasn't talking to us at the end of this age. He was talking to them at the end of that age. So they were crossing over out of an old covenant age and into a new covenant age. That's what the book of Revelation is really about. It's about coming to the end of an old covenant and coming into a new covenant paradigm. And so uh, this Red Sea crossing is a powerful picture because when they come out, out of the Red Sea again, it was as if you look back and you saw the horse as is the Pharaoh crossing the Red Sea. It would look like blood to a horse's bridle. And the imagery that's being drawn from here, again, is an Exodus uh, imagery. He, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, God has, God is saying again to His people here in Revelation, there's a deliverance from bondage. One of the things I pointed out, I think, very strongly, but I, I really don't mind reiterating because I think we need to grasp these things. Revelation 11, verse 8, the writer of Revelation says, Uh, that their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Well, our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt, but the Spirit makes a direct connection when it says He was crucified in the city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Now, Jesus said this to, I believe it was, the people, when He was doing many mighty miracles, He said that it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment, than it will be for this generation, uh, because if they didn't see the miracles that you'd see, they would have repented long ago. And the reality of it is is that, uh, that uh, uh, he is connecting the judgments of Sodom and Gomorrah, number one, to the coming catastrophes that occurred uh, during this period of time, especially from uh, 66 A.D. to 70 A.D., and in that period of time when there's just tremendous catastrophe and judgments coming. And we're going to see that these plagues are the pouring out of that. We'll see exactly how, when they were fulfilled, and compare them even to the plagues of Egypt because the purpose of the plagues of Egypt were to get God's uh, enemies to release His people to leave into the promised land. Now let me just say this to you. If not only uh, that the city which was spiritually called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified, for the first time I begin to see Egypt. Not as just, you know, when I was growing up and we preached about we're coming out of Egypt headed to our promised land, what that meant was we were coming out of the world or whatever we called worldliness and we were coming, you know, through a journey in life and then one of these days we would go to heaven. Uh, I really see that totally different now because what happens is if the city which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt was Jerusalem because that's where our Lord was crucified, the Spirit is making a direct connection to Jerusalem and that Old Covenant system and polity as a type of the bondage of Egypt and servitude of slavery. Say it another way, under the Old Covenant you were slaves and servants, in the New Covenant your sons. And so God has called us this time, uh, the church or the called out ones, he's called us out of an Old Covenant paradigm and into a New Covenant kingdom of God, and uh, in the transition out of that, we are delivered by the blood of a lamb in Egypt. Uh, And, you know, the truth of it is, is that that's a powerful picture of Jesus, who is our lamb of Passover. So they're delivered by the blood of the lamb, and while plagues are falling all over Egypt, God's protection was on the house of the Hebrews. He said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Not because their house escaped, but because the blood that was on the doorpost of the house said to the death angel, there's already been a death exacted here. The death of the Lamb was your death. It was the death of the firstborn. Uh, Jesus did not die so you don't have to. He died because you had to. Uh, he, he, he died not to give you life. He died to give you a death. He died to give you a death to who you were in Adam and the old creation, and then he got back up from the dead to give you a life and the power of resurrection so that you could come up out of whatever bondage you're in, whether it's worldly bondage or religious bondage. Bondage is bondage and slavery is slavery. I really feel like maybe sidetracking a little, but I don't really want to, to to chase these rabbits today. But see what happens is people get free from the law, and then they get bound by substance abuse, or they get bound, or they get freed from substance abuse, or some other thing that we we teach to be you know sin or whatever, and then they get bound by religion. Well, one bondage, all we're doing is trading one bondage for the other. But whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So that the imagery that's being drawn here is whatever it takes for you to find deliverance from the bondage of Egyptian slavery. And so all of these plagues that we're about to see in judgments, are many of them are the same ones that we saw in Egypt as God poured out his plagues upon the Egyptians so that they would let his people go. I believe the Lord would say today, I believe the prophetic word of the Lord would be, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Uh, that they may serve me. And, and you know, the, the Lord is really wanting to bring His people into a liberty. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. They not only sang the song of Moses when they came up out uh, of these waters in Revelation 15 verse 3, they sang the song of the Lamb. So what that tells me is that they sang the song of Moses saying, okay, this, the horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. God has delivered us from the bondage of slavery. But the Song of the Lamb in the book of Revelation was the new song that I talked about earlier, and that song is the Song of Redemption. They sang in chapter 5, Thou hast, I think it's chapter 5 of Revelation, Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every nation, kindred and tongue and people. And so uh, as we begin to see uh, some of these things unfold in the book of Revelation, once again, many of these plagues are not what's coming for the believer. It's what they were redeemed from and what you and I have been redeemed from. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law, Jesus made a curse for us. And we saw that in chapter 14 where he had trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath were stored. And for the believer, uh, it's not a coming day of wrath. It is Jesus took all the wrath that God had. And so to me, these again, uh, these uh, plagues that we're about, these golden bowls that we're about to see, are uh, for the believer what we were redeemed from, and for the unbeliever it was the coming catastrophes of God keeping his end of the covenant bargain of what he promised Israel if they would not come out of uh, uh, if they would not, you know, obey His law, and if they would not, uh, if they would, you know, walk away from Him and discard the things that God was saying. Now, I want you to also see that all, all through this book, uh, not only do we see the fulfillment of God bringing them up out of Egypt and into their promised land. See, you and I in the New Covenant ought to be enjoying our promised land. We ought to be living out of the rest of Christ. And if we are in this promised land, Hebrews four once again said, talks about that. You know that they did not enter in because of unbelief. But although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, they did not enter into that rest. So that rest is a rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's being in Christ and in his finished work. That doesn't make a spiritual couch potato out of you. It makes to me a, uh, 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 it makes you begin to have an outflow, if I could say it like this, of milk and honey. Because everything flows from the posture position of rest. That's why uh, God was so adamant about things that he would say concerning the Sabbath and the Sabbath rest is because uh, the rest of God, everything that we are, everything that we are in the finished work of Jesus Christ begins to flow out of what Jesus has already done for us. And uh, let me just say also, that what you see is an unfolding paradigm throughout the book of Revelation, again, of the feast of Israel that God instituted uh, uh, through the wilderness journey and also from the beginning of the Passover until they came into their promised land. We are now in the end, uh, coming to the latter parts of the book of Revelation. We're going to deal with the harlot, and these plagues primarily, let me say this, are poured out on this great harlot. We will see, and I'm just going to say it up front, and then we will prove to you, I think, why it is. That this harlot in its, uh, in in, in the people that was relevant to right then was apostate Israel. The faithful city had become a harlot and God was about to keep His end of the covenant bargain, and He promised to them of all these curses, and we may read some of them if we've got time. Uh, but the, the, the one I, the thing I want to get to before this segment is over is to share with you how that, again, the book of Revelation continues to unfold, and it continues to uh, uh, reiterate the whole Feast of Israel paradigm. We see a slain lamb in the beginning of the book of Revelation, which is the, 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 the icon if you will, of the feast of Passover. Uh, we, we have seen, if you will, uh, we have seen the wave of the sheath of first fruits. We've seen God call out a first fruit people for his name. I believe in uh, Revelation chapter 7 uh, of the book of Revelation, they were the first fruits unto God and unto the Lamb." Uh, That was the wave of the sheath of the first fruit. Uh, uh, Also you see that in the resurrection of Jesus when He got up from the dead that was seen in the city. those that had got up out of the graves, many that slept, got up out of the graves, and were seen, literally seen in the city in fulfillment, I believe, of the wave of the sheath of the first fruit, which was a symbol that when they would go get the wave of sheath of first fruit, they would wave it before the Lord, and they would, uh, you know, it was saying to the rest of Israel, this is a guarantee that there's a coming harvest coming. And so uh, that says to me that they were the first fruits of them that slept, they were the wave of the sheath of the first fruit, saying that rest resurrection had begun and was now underway and would continue as the harvest paradigm would unfold. You see a little bit later in the book of Revelation, again, uh, they are sealed. To me, again, that is the powerful picture of the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We come on into the latter parts of the book of Revelation and the seventh month, and all of these trumpets, vials, And uh, uh, a harvest paradigm is being declared, and we've already shared the trumpets. But what would happen is in the seventh month, trumpets would sound. On the heels of the trumpets sounding, uh, there would be a great day of atonement or a pouring out of blood and uh, I believe that's what we're seeing in the pouring out of these bowls of wrath or these vows of wrath is the trumpets or the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. They're declaring the Day of Atonement. We've already covered that. They're already, already telling you uh, that, uh, uh, that you've got a certain amount of time to afflict the soul and to come, you know, God was warning his people. You know, one of the things I have to say that we have to say, you know, I've seen people recently trying to say, well, God has never been mad. And they, they go back and try to twist these scriptures. Listen, if you've got to twist the scriptures to make them fit your doctrine, you probably don't have a very sound doctrine. It's in the Word of God. God was, in fact wrath poured out on uh, people. The reason I believe this is called the last plagues is because in the new covenant God says, uh, especially through Isaiah 54, I will never be wroth with you again. So that's why these are called the seven last plagues. And they are, in them is filled up the wrath of God. And we could say it in two dimensions. Jesus received, God poured out all his wrath on him. In Romans 5, we're not just saved from sin, we're saved from wrath. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law, Jesus being made a curse for us. But to those who did not receive their Messiah, for those who rejected this redemption, then cursing came upon them. I hope you can see all of that. But these are the fulfillment of the vows of wrath that are being poured out. And then as you get into the latter part of the book of Revelation, you move beyond the Day of Atonement. Uh, And again, both these days are both great and terrible. For the believer, it's wonderful. For the ones who did not afflict their soul, it's not a good day. But the latter part of the book of Revelation ends with the Feast of Tabernacles. And one of the things that we're seeing here in the 15th chapter especially is the gathering of the grapes of the vine of the earth, and the grapes were harvested during the Feast of Tabernacles, or during this time of great end gathering, and so the end of this book of Revelation is the end gathering, or if you will, it is the the fulfillment of the Feast of Gathering, or the Feast of End Gathering, the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, where at the end of the wilderness journey, listen, after 40 years of transition, they came to the end of that and came into their promised land, and God said, now I want you as a memorial to come out and build booths or tabernacles to commemorate how the Lord brought you up out of Egypt. I don't think it's an accident that when you get in the book of Revelation and the latter part of it, after you get past the trumpets, which is the feast of trumpets, you get past the bowls of blood, which is the great day of atonement, then you come to the end of the book of Revelation. He says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. It is the fulfillment of of the Feast of Tabernacles, and then there's a great declaration that flows as God begins to give this great invitation from this city of God and from this, uh, uh, the bride, the lamb's wife, the spirit and the bride say, come. And there's an invitation for an incredible harvest. And and it's not to me, harvest is not a one-time shot. It is an ongoing thing. As long as the earth remains, there is seed time and there's harvest, even in our individual lives. We're born, and there is seed time, and there's harvest time. And I believe that we have seen uh, these feasts fulfilled throughout the book of Revelation, but we are coming now to the stage where we're going to deal with the vows and the judgments that are poured out and the curses that are about to come upon the people who rejected this blood and did not sing the song of Moses nor the song of the Lamb. They are still in this bondage, and uh, God's judgment is about to come upon uh, these enemies of God. Now some think that uh, these vows are poured out on Rome. There may be uh, pieces of it that were poured out on Rome. But again, I see Egypt as that religious system and that apostate people that did not receive uh, their Messiah. So these judgments are being poured out on these religious folks and uh, that are holding God's people back from being thrust into a new covenant. When God brought this tabernacle, this first tabernacle to an end, uh, and that was finally moved off the place. The covenant with death had been disannulled, and the agreement with hell had been broken. Now the overflowing scourge was coming, and God was saying, come out of her, my people, and be separate. We're about to run out of time. I want to thank you again for joining us today on the program. If you've enjoyed it and you appreciate what we're doing uh, Take a moment to call that number on the screen or write to us and uh, give a, a generous offering into the ministry. And once again, it will be used to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. Without you it's impossible, and so we need you to do that. Thank you so much, and God bless you for joining us today on the program. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, This book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.